not stand to give our own opinions this morning, but we stand to give forth the words of life. And there may be some who are here this morning who do not know you as Lord and Savior, and we ask that today would be the day of salvation for them. Your word is clear that whosoever will may come and drink the water of life freely. Thank you that our salvation is not up to us, but that it was paid for and the sacrifice was paid in its entirety by the Lord Jesus Christ by shedding his blood. And as the hymn said, every day we live, we live for him. We look forward to that day with great anticipation when all of the troubles and trials of this life will be over. So I ask, Father, again, that there would be no distractions either inside or out this morning that would take our eyes off the loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Together, God's people said, amen. In preparation for the nominations that may come in for elders or deacons, I believe that it is important that we have been preparing our hearts by studying and seeing what the scripture says. Now, there are some denominations and there are some cults maybe, and they've got all kinds of rules and regulations about what you can and cannot do in order to be a deacon or an elder or a bishop or a presbyter or whatever it may be. And I don't, I'm, I'm glad that I, I don't think that one of the requirements against being one is that you can't wear a red shirt <laughs> or a pink shirt or a purple shirt. But as we look at the word of God, I think it's important that you understand and that we understand that the reason why the qualifications are here is because of how serious these two offices are. It's the only two offices that have been given to the local church, and that is elder or pastor, bishop, overseer. All of those refer to the same, the same individual or a deacon, which the actual word in English would be a servant. By way of illustration, I have uh, decided to take up another job be able to go along with what I'm doing here. And I've decided that out of all of the professions that I could do, I've decided I'm going to be a heart surgeon. Well, I'm looking for new patients. I don't have the steadiest of hands. I have no experience and I have no education in that regards, but I'd like to know if you would let me practice on any of you. You don't, you're a very smart individual. How much more important is the role of an elder or a pastor, one who takes eternity? In their hands every week. Pastor warns you of the judgment that is to come. A pastor seeks to love you. A pastor sometimes has to go in like a surgeon with a fine knife, the sword of the Lord. And sometimes has to cut out offending parts just like I do in my life. But we're dealing with eternity. A heart surgeon in this life, he may only have maybe 20, 30 years in a career. 
Every word that is said, every sermon that is preached, a pastor is going to give account for. It is important. It is vital. And a pastor gets it right. I have no business giving you my opinion. I'm called to give you the word of God. Because it is only the word of God that can change you. There are a lot of books in this world and they can maybe get you to conform. They can get you to reform. But there's only one book that will transform. And it's the word of God. This task is certainly not undertaken lightly. The medical doctor will look after that, which will continue to decay. But a spiritual doctor is one who cares for the soul of man and points it toward a day when there will be everlasting healing. We stated this previously, a pastor or elder is not the CEO of a business. He is not called to the role of a glorified administrator or, or to be a board member. He is a shepherd to God's flock. Deacons are not a board of directors, but they are servants of the Most High God to his people to serve with elders. And members are to recognize that we are all to love one another, to serve one another, and to be in unity with one another as a family. There is no perfect family. There is no perfect church. There are no perfect people. This is the reason why we must keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. Because if you will keep your eyes focused on him, you won't have to worry about the glitches that come in the system. Let's look at our first slide this morning. Elders, God's faithful shepherds. At the end of the day, when we come and we stand before God, and we are able to present the ministry of those who, who we have had, uh, our, our, our friends here, uh, Brother Serge and Sister Katie Lepart, uh, she was saved under my dad's ministry some 30, 36 years ago. The Lord moved them on, the Lord moved my folks on. But here they are, here to visit. We hope they come back. Amen. But we are called to be faithful. And if we are not faithful in what God wants us to do, we will never be qualified. Men, you will never qualify to be a shepherd. Slide number two. The biblical method, as we have been seeking to look at after, for the last few weeks, is there are to be elders in every church. This is called in some circles a plurality of elders. Now, by the way, this is not a setup for senior pastor, junior pastor, junior, junior, junior pastor, roof fund pastor, and parking lot pastor. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about serving in a way and recognizing that every elder who serves, serves as an elder, serves as an overseer, as a bishop, as a pastor. Now, what is the structure of the local church supposed to look like? It should look like this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. He is at the top. He is the head of the church. And then the church is given leaders. And these are shepherds or elders. 
those who assist the elders are servants and deacons. And then you also have fellow workers. The congregation that we have here today, there are a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. There are many of you who do different things, and that's important to a local church. It's just as important that you be faithful in whatever it is that God has called you to do, just as it is for me to be faithful in what God has called me to do. There are no, there's not a different level or a structure when it comes to serving the Most High God. We are all called ultimately to be a slave of Jesus Christ, a bond slave. And a bond slave simply means one who, a bond slave is one who does what the master requires of him. It's that simple. We looked at the word usage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and, 1 and 2 last week, brought these three terms together, and we saw Peter instructing the elders to be good overseers as they pastor or shepherd. Peter says the elder is to shepherd the flock. He is to exercise oversight, which means to look carefully and to beware of any potential danger. Now, Brother Diego was mentioning this morning in regards to the, the country that we have been dealing with here. What if that came here to our shores? And I believe one day it may. And I believe that we have to be prepared for whatever it is that God has in store for us. But I believe that more importantly, before that kind of danger comes to this country, you and I need to be aware that there is spiritual dangers that are in place every single day of your life and mine that we have to deal with. And I don't know what it is that's going on in each one of your lives, but God does. And we simply warn. There are many times down through the years of my ministry, somebody has said, well, well, did you preach a message just about me? Nope, had no idea what was even going on in your life. I simply presented the next passage that God wanted me to present. There may be some here this morning, your marriage is struggling. Maybe you're struggling with your kids. Maybe you're struggling in a work relationship. Maybe there's a financial issue or emotional issue that, that, that you're having to deal with on a daily basis and you don't know how to get through it. Well, I can tell you what the answer is, and that is that God does know. Number four, eldership. I believe that eldership is God's plan for protecting his church. No one person has the ability to be able to do everything on their own. This is why the teaching of elders is so important. And we must get it right. In Acts chapter 20, for the sake of time, we're not going to read this again. But we learn that Paul gave instructions for elders to the Ephesian church that they were to pay attention to their own lives. They were to pay attention to the flock and they were to care for God's church. So I believe that it is helpful for us to understand the role of elders is to be able to look at the qualifications this morning from both, both 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. So what are these qualifications? I believe that there are four areas of qualifications, and we're going to break these down individually as they appear in the scriptures, but the first one is personal. So the personal qualification for a pastor, this deals with the moral character that they are to have as an individual. This one would include the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, 
respectable, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, upright, holy, and not a lover of money. The second qualification deals with his family life. And again, this is in accord with God's order. He manages his own household well. Children obey him with respect, and children are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Again, none of these qualifications, I can tell you that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no man that would ever qualify to be an elder. None. I believe that it is important that these are the qualifications that we are striving towards, just like you do in your jobs, whatever goal it is. Nobody becomes a master at whatever it is. There's always something that you can learn because we are always called, or we are all called to be a servant. We are called to be a learner. The third category of qualification is the relationship that they have with others. This includes a good reputation. One who is not given to drunkenness, hospitable, a lover of what is good, a good reputation with outsiders, and not quarrelsome. And then the fourth category is respecting the faith. A person who is a pastor or who is an elder cannot be a recent convert. They must be able to teach the scriptures, not their opinions. So with this, these four categories in mind, I want to give this introduction, if you will, starting at verse number two, and we're going to begin the exposition here in verse two in regards to these qualifications, but I want to share with this with you by way of not warning, but encouragement. There may be some things that you hear this morning in regards to these qualifications that maybe you don't agree with. At the end of the day, we have to agree with God. We have to be on God's side. And in studying the scriptures, I believe that the, what we are presenting this morning is probably the clearest that I have been able to come to and understand in regards to how these qualifications are to apply to an individual who desires to be an elder. Having said that, let's look at the first one. An elder must be above reproach. What does this mean? The word in the Greek actually means one who is blameless or presents no patterns of scriptural disobedience or grounds for accusations. In other words, the person must be striving to live in such a way that he is not needlessly being blamed or accused. Now, this doesn't mean that if you don't like the way I part my hair, that that becomes a spiritual qualification for an elder. What it does mean is a pastor will be one who is not censured. The word means to express severe disapproval of someone or something in a formal statement. There is no leeway in either passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1 to bring any accusations unless they are in line with Scripture. And the reason is because the elder is responsible before God, not just for what he says, not just for what he does in the pulpit, but also what he does in his personal life. Benjamin Keach actually noted it this way. He said, let no Benjamin Keach, by the way, was a Puritan pastor from the 1600s. 
He said, let no one part of the church meet together as dissatisfied persons to consult church matters without the knowledge of the pastor or consent and appointment of the church. For where this is done, the bond of love and peace is broken. Above reproach. I believe that it is important that we should be striving to live in such a way because if we are, if there are accusations sometimes that are made, as there will be within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it also involves seeking forgiveness. It also means apologizing. It also means being willing to admit when a person is wrong, whether it's myself as the pastor or as the elder or you as a church member. And it's the same pattern that we see within the church, not just in the church, but in the home. I know I have spoken with many down through the years in regards to counseling and you would, maybe you wouldn't be, but I think most people would be amazed if they heard some of the conversations. Have you ever asked forgiveness from your spouse? Oh no, I, I don't have to do that. Have you ever asked forgiveness in the church? No, no, I've never done that either. And yet the Bible says that we are forgiven by the most high God. There is nothing I believe in your life and mine that is not above being able to be forgiven. Secondly, the husband of one wife. The word here actually means to be a devoted one woman man. And this issue goes, I believe, beyond divorce and remarriage. Although that seems to be what the hang-up is with a lot of people when they come to the qualifications of what it means to be an elder or a deacon. Marital fidelity here in Paul's writing to Timothy is actually the issue. And if the qualification means, as we read it in most of our English versions, it would mean that a single man could never be an elder or a deacon because he has to be the husband of one wife. The same phrasing would also mean that a man must have more than one child in order to qualify as an elder or deacon. This is not what Paul is saying. Now, I know that there are some of you here this morning and you have gone through divorce and remarriage or you've gone through a divorce in your life. Sadly, there are many churches that treat divorce and remarriage as the unpardonable sin. And this is not a treatise on marriage, divorce, and remarriage at this time, but just some things for you to consider from God's word. The only unpardonable sin that we find in scripture is a person who rejects Jesus Christ as their savior. Sadly, some of you have talked with me before about what you have gone through and you have found yourself in churches where you have gone through this tragedy in your life and you find yourself or you have found yourself being treated sometimes as a third or fourth class Christian in the church. That's not right. It's not biblical. Such actions are not becoming for the church of Jesus Christ and the believers here. 
What exactly does Paul mean in this regards? Does it mean that a person who has gone through a divorce and remarriage, does it mean that they are permanently disqualified? If the Bible meant that a man could only ever have one wife, then a widower who remarries would be forever disqualified from being an elder or deacon. And in like manner, an individual who is divorced and remarried before their salvation, this person who has had all of their sins forgiven, this person would also be disqualified according to the way that some people view this passage. But considering, and we, I believe it's important that we look in the context here, and considering the culture of the day which included bigamy, which is plural marriage, Paul would surely have made a distinction here in the qualifications regarding divorce, which was an issue in the New Testament times, and he would have stated explicitly about divorce. But I believe what Paul actually reiterates here is the clause, what is known as the exception clause in both 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and also in Matthew chapters 5 and 19. One commentator noted this, the Bible does give two grounds for divorce. One is sexual immorality, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, and chapter 19, verse 9. And the second is abandonment by an unbeliever in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. However, please don't misunderstand this morning. For the Christian, if you are a Christian and your spouse is a Christian, divorce is never an option in regards to the scriptures. But if a person has gone through that, or even if you have an unbelieving spouse, the Bible does not require you or even encourage you to leave your unbelieving spouse. The most that can be said is that sexual immorality and abandonment are grounds or allowance for divorce, but confession, forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration are always to be the first steps. This means that divorce should only be viewed as a last resort. I was looking online at some research this week, and it is sad that depending on which research you read, George Barna or others, uh, that the church itself is made up by as much as anywhere from 33 to 50% of the couples within the church are divorced and remarried. So what does this mean as far as Paul is concerned and here at Yellowstone Baptist Church? I believe in a nutshell, it is this. I believe that God forgives sin. I believe that just because a person has gone through that, I believe each case is individual. But I believe that if, God, if, if a person, a man or a woman has gone through that in their lives, that does not exclude them from service within the local church. I believe God can still use those individuals. I believe that God can still use them as servants of the Most High God within the local church. Now, the problem is often, again, not only do we paint these individuals to be something that God does not see them as. In fact, I would encourage you, if you don't have these verses memorized or underlined, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 at some point, verses 9 through 11. In fact, let's go ahead and do it right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is getting ready to address the role of marriage and the relationship here. 
And look what he says in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But what does your version say in verse 11? Such were some of you. You see, this is the true hope within biblical Christianity is that it doesn't matter what you've gone through in your life. It doesn't matter what sin you've ever committed. It doesn't matter, ladies, if you've gone through an abortion in your life. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. Men, if you've been caught up in some kind of addiction within your life, God still forgives sin. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. That simply means to be set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The word justified here is a legal term, and it simply means that God looks down and he sees your account has been cleared by the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiven. Would you want to live your life not knowing what sins have been forgiven in your life? Maybe the sins that your spouse doesn't know about or your children or your parents. No, I wouldn't want to live that way. We've sung this, we sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thirdly, sober-minded. An elder is sober-minded. This simply means that they are to be sensible. They are to use wisdom in how they approach situations. They are to be balanced in their judgment, not given to quick superficial decisions based on immature thinking. Now, again, there are times when we can make hasty decisions. That's why I believe that we should have others within the church to be able to help not just hold us accountable, but to be able to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe that's not such a great idea. Maybe that should be something that we do for a later time. And then he deals with an elder being self-controlled. And the reason we are given these qualifications is because if there are others who will qualify within now or within the future, the goal is to make sure that these individuals meet these qualifications to the best of our understanding. A person who is self-controlled, this means that they are enslaved to nothing. They are free from excesses. An elder is one who has a clear perspective on life. The word here actually refers to wine. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17 says that we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit just as a drunkard is controlled by his wine. Respectable. An elder is to demonstrate a well-ordered life and behavior. They should act in such a manner that their office and their calling is not called into question. Listen to what one man said in regards to decorum. In Ireland of the 1940s, wearing a long, empty, gray face was thought to be the height of decorum for a man. And such a face would show great depth of knowledge and thought. 
No, that's not what this means. Doesn't mean that we put on a sad face. There are some of you here, maybe you have fasted and prayed in the past. I know I have at times been able to fast and pray. It's difficult sometimes. Some, some, uh, some of you may struggle with various medical issues that prevent you from being able to do it. But do you remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said about fasting and praying? When you fast, don't put ashes on your face. Don't, don't, don't look all sour. And, and, you know, somebody comes up to you and say, what's going on? Oh, I'm fasting. No, it's between you and God. Hospitable. This means one who is unselfish with personal resources. They are willing to share resources with others. This bucket here is just a small token of how gracious you folks are here at Yellowstone Baptist Church. This is one of the most giving churches I've ever been in in my life. And I'm thankful for that. The word here literally means one who is a friend of strangers or guests. Now, it'd be a little difficult if somebody walks in right at 11 o'clock and they leave as soon as the service is over. You're not going to ever be able to get the feeling and the understanding of what we have as a church. Because if you give it just about five or 10 minutes, you probably won't leave for half an hour to 40 minutes because people are just going to surround you. They're going to want to know everything about you in your life. So it should be. Some people, though, are what I call drag race Christians. Drag into church, race out. And with the advent, of course, of remote start vehicles, some vehicles are already running at the end of a service. Be hospitable. Able to teach. This person is able to communicate the word of God and exhort sound doctrine in a non-argumentative way. It doesn't mean that this person must have the gift of teaching, but rather that they are learning, that they are believing, that they are living more of the word each and every day, and then they are able to share that with others. We've got a number of different meetings that go on. We've got the ladies' meeting. We've got the men's meeting on a Monday and a Thursday, and we've got other meetings that go on at different times, the men's breakfast. But you know where a lot of the teaching is going to take place? It's when we're sitting down at a table somewhere having coffee together. Or you're sitting with somebody in their home having dinner and enjoying fellowship. That's where a lot of the learning comes from because discipling means that we learn from one another. Not a drunkard. Again, Paul is referencing back to the self-control here. And he says that one who is a drunkard, the word actually means to be free from addictions, willing to lovingly limit their liberty for the sake of others. Now, for those of you who are overseas, you'll know that there are some countries that go overseas and the water may not be good to drink, so everybody drinks a glass of wine with dinner. Now, I believe that the scriptures are very clear that a pastor should prohibit himself from partaking maybe in some of those things that a lot of people normally would so as not to give the appearance of evil to anybody within the congregation. If anybody is going to cause another brother or sister to stumble quicker than anybody else, it's going to be the pastor. Mm -hmm. 
An elder is not to be violent. This means they are not a giver of blows. This is anger that is out of control. It doesn't mean that an, ang- that an elder will not have anger or righteous anger, but that he will lose control of his emotions. An elder is to be gentle. Paul actually builds on this previous word to not be violent. It's actually two words in the Greek. But the word gentle here is characterized by forbearance and tenderness, and it means literally not having a short explosion. An elder is to not be quarrelsome. They are not to be a lover of money. This means, again, not to be stingy, not to be greedy, not to be out for sordid gain, not having a desire or preoccupation with amassing material things, rather to be a model of giving. Do you recognize people right now, maybe in your heart and your mind, that you are seeing could possibly qualify here? We come to verse 4 and 5. This is an individual who manages his family. The three terms that are used here in succession, they are actually all tied together in one. A well-ordered household, a healthy family life, and well-behaved children. Now, again, I believe there's some clarification that is needed here because there are some who teach that if a man has grown children who are out on their own who are not believers, that that disqualifies them. I don't believe that that is biblical. I believe that when your children go out on their own, that God has to deal with them with their own sin and with their own issues. If the child is in the home, they should be respectful and obedient to the commands that are given to them. It doesn't mean that they will like them, but it does mean that they are to be respectful of those. Fathers, you have the responsibility and the task not just to be a godly husband to your wife and to be the spiritual leader, but also to be the spiritual leader of your children until they leave home. This means that we are seeking to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now go with me for our last verse this morning, Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 7 repeats some of these exact same commands. But he says here, In verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So here's what Paul deals with in these last qualifications. Again, somebody who is not a new convert. The word literally means a newly planted tree. You see, we as believers, we are called to be trees. We are called to be like a planted tree, Psalm 1, that sits and is in the banks of the river, drinks up that water. Is that on mine? See, I made him another mistake. 
not a new convert. So one who is learning. If you place somebody in front of the congregation before they are ready, they may not have the availability or they may not have the knowledge of the scriptures to be able to share what God's word has to say. That doesn't mean that a person has to go to Bible school or that they have to go to seminary. Charles Spurgeon, for example, never went to seminary, never went to Bible college, never even had a high school diploma. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, ended up taking care of over 10,000 children in his orphanages in London, preached regularly to eight to 10,000 people every single Sunday, and started a Bible college and a seminary. An elder is to have a good reputation. They are to be well-respected by unbelievers outside of the church. And this simply means free from hypocrisy. The word actually referred to politics and two-facedness. An elder is to love what is good. This means that we desire the will of God in every decision. You know, what is amazing to me is that here at Yellowstone Baptist Church, out of all the business meetings that we have had, some of you don't like business meetings. Sometimes I don't like business meetings. But yeah, we have business meetings and we have just about had a unanimous vote on every issue we have ever had here. That's unheard of. I have never been in a church like that before. Part of loving what is good means to be upright, to be fair, to be impartial, making judgments that are based on scriptural principles, not based on what is going on in the culture of the day or society. And then Paul tells Titus here that an elder is to be holy and disciplined reverent, continually desiring to be separated from sin, to be devoted to prayer, the study of the scripture. This is the abiding and the obeying principle and guarding their own personal spiritual walk. If I get up in the morning, I normally, we're normally up, my wife and I, between 5 and 5.30, normally every morning. First thing we do, we go in the living room. My wife makes me a cup of coffee and she has whatever it is that she's drinking. And we're reading our Bibles. You see, I can't lead you. I can't shepherd you if I don't know the word of God. I have to be able to know the word of God so that I can encourage you, exhort you, build you up in the faith. One day if persecution comes, like we were talking about this country just a little bit ago, if if persecution comes in that situation, if you're not prepared during the good times, you will struggle to be ready during the bad times. And then finally, Titus says, one who is not self-willed, somebody who is not arrogant, not obstinate in refusing to listen to others. I get a lot of ideas. I get a lot of suggestions that are made to me in the course of ministry. Not all of them are applicable. Not all of them are going to be actually put forth into practice, but that doesn't mean that we don't listen. It doesn't mean that we don't strive to do that. In closing, elders above all else are called to preach and pray. 
They are to hold fast the doctrines of God's word without wavering. In this day and age, it would be easy to quit. It would easy to be easy to give up the fight. It would be easy to say, well, the world's doing it after all, after all, so why don't we do it? An elder is also to love the flock. Will I or other elders that we may have here at Yellowstone, will we ever do it perfectly? No. But it is this reason that we began this way, and this is the way we will close. It is this reason why all are called to keep their eyes on Christ, because he is the author. He is the finisher of our faith, not mere man, Christ. Do you remember the disciples, the three disciples? They're standing up on the hill with the Lord Jesus Christ up on the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. He is transfigured before them. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, stand there beside him. Peter, of course, tries to give honor to all of them. And from heaven, we hear God saying, this is my beloved son. Focus on him. Listen to him. And the Bible says that when those disciples lifted their eyes, they saw no one save Jesus only. That's what I'm encouraging you to do today. See Jesus only. If I could have two of our men, I wanted to pass these out. If I could have two of our men come up and help, please. We've got one here. and Somebody else want to come? We have one for a couple. The question was asked in regards to what the process actually is going to look like, and I realized that maybe I was not clear on that. Again, we are not taking the nominations, or the nominations are not due as a final today. Um, but I want you to take this information, this little sheet that I am handing out to you, and I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider what you have heard today over the last couple of weeks. And I want you to prayerfully consider this process that we as a church will do it God's way. As we move into the future, there are going to be changes, I'm sure, just as there are with businesses, just as there are in I mean, you, you don't probably do the same things with your kids as teenagers that they, you did when they were two or three years old. Things change. Yeah, I hope not. And as you take this and you prayerfully consider what God has for us here at Yellowstone, remember this is not a popularity contest. This is God's way. It has to be his way. And as I shared with you last week, I had to apologize because I went too fast. Some areas that we went back to the Constitution, we had to make sure that we were doing it right. And that's what this process is for. So I hope you'll be encouraged. If you have any questions, those of you who are visitors, you will know that we are welcome. You are welcome to ask any questions. You're welcome to any of our meetings, uh, whether it's a business meeting or whether it's a regular church service. We don't mind. We seek to be open before the Lord Jesus Christ and to be good stewards of what God has given us. 
Again, the meeting will be this evening at 5 uh, p.m., and uh, we will have a time of fellowship as well at the same time. I invite you to stand with me for our benediction this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.